Good morning. Good to see you here. Good to be here. Those of us over here, we got an extra little show. It's not so nice to have Becca and Dennis here. I mean, it's like watching an artist paint, right? They know what I'm talking about. You guys you sat on the wrong side. It's cool, though. You can still go to heaven someday, and that'll be good, too. Uh, the pink candle is lit, so that's just like, that is the line. If you have not done your Christmas shopping and the pink candle's lit, you better get going, right? Two weeks from today is Christmas. Christmas on a Sunday. I just want to share this with you. Uh, some of you will really enjoy worshiping on Christmas morning. Uh, my kids were thrilled when I looked ahead and realized that the next time Christmas would fall on a Sunday, it's a leap year. So after this year, it's 2033. So as my kids were complaining, I told my oldest, you'll be 23 the next time Christmas falls on a Sunday. You'll be totally fine. So if you like it, that's bad news. But if you don't, then uh, I just made your morning. So we're doing an Advent series. We're walking towards Christmas, right? We're on that journey as we head towards Christmas. It, it comes so quickly every year. And last week, Pastor Vern talked to you about waiting. And I'm sure you're doing waiting, right? There's so much waiting in our lives that we do, but I really hope how you're waiting and what you're waiting for uh, were impacted by that message. And today I wanna talk to you about accepting. I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about accepting because if we're people who are trying to walk with God, I know that's true for a lot of us. I'm not going to assume it's true for all of us, you know, but maybe some. I don't know why I looked at the balcony and I said that. You can try and follow God and sit in the balcony. I love you guys up there. I sat up in the balcony once. It was really cool. Uh, but if you're trying to get to know him better, if you're trying to know God and be known by him, if you're trying to live out his will for your life, there's going to be a good amount of acceptance that's going to have to come along the way. Now, when I say accepting like that, I'm talking about this willful resignation to to what God has for you. This deliberate submission, a choice that you make, not a choice that you just make one time, but a choice you're going to make over and over again. Yes, we can go back and we can say, hey, this is the time I really gave my life to God. This is the time I said, God, I want you to be Lord over my life. I hope that you have a, a point. Maybe it's a specific time. Maybe it's a season of your life, but you also know you don't just do that once, right? You do that over and over again. This, this God, I'm taking my hands off the wheel, not, your, not my will, but your will be done in my life. And man, that's hard. That is hard to do. Right? It's really hard to do, to give that control up. Now, I need to preface this, and I need to tell you, my wife is a fine driver. Right? She's in the toddler room right now. She's got the TV on. She's probably listening. She is a fine driver. So this is not about that. But in our time together, uh, she has driven, I think, three, maybe four times when I was in the car, and not at all in the last 12 years. It is not about her driving. It's about my controlling. Right? I don't like to sit in the passenger seat. I'm not going to sleep on vacation while somebody else drives because because I have to be watching everything, right? I have to make sure you see that car and that you see that deer and that you see everything else. And that's not really fun for anybody. So I just drive and on trips, she's the stewardess, right? She gets everybody their snacks and changes the movies. And, uh, you know, I just try and get the car there safely. But what does that tell you? Well, it tells you I like being in control. Right? And a lot of you, some of you, where's the other people you always drive? Put your hand, where's the, you always drive, right? It's all right. Yeah, God loves us too. It's okay. We like being in control. And so, especially for the people like me who love being in control, accepting God's will can be really hard for us because we want to feel like we're in control. 
or more correctly, you know, we, we want to feel like we, we're not in control. We like to feel like we're in control. One of the more impactful quotes that I've read over the last, you know, couple decades was Barbara Brown Taylor, and she said, we don't actually give up control. We give up the idea that we were ever in control in the first place. And I remember reading that back in my office. When we had offices, I read it, and I just sat there and stared at the page and was like, oh my gosh. Right? It was like, uh, you know, what the Kaiser Sose, when the cup drops and breaks, and if you get that, you get it. If you don't, you don't. But I was like, I'm not actually in control. I'm just living my life under the impression I'm in control. And some of you, you hear this, and you're like, no way, man. I'm out. I'm out. I'm not giving up control to some invisible guy in the sky that I can't see, that sometimes I don't even hear from. I can't do that. And at the same time, there's people in this room, there's people that are saying, yes, give in to him. Surrender your will to, for the will for your life to him. It is the best thing you could ever do for your life. And what's the difference? What's the difference between those two groups? I mean, is it just one group has more faith? I don't know if it's that simple. Maybe it's your parents. It's how you were raised. Maybe it's your wiring. It's your, your Myers-Briggs or your Enneagram or, or whatever you're into with that. Or what I believe, what I think we're going to see from the parts of the Bible we're going to focus on today is that whether or not we're able to do this, whether or not we're able to really trust God and, and accept his will has a lot to do with how well we know God. So the main point today is just that the better I know God, the more I will be able to accept his will for my life. I mean, that makes logical sense, right? I mean, if somebody is a good person, if they're, if they're true and they're faithful and we're tr they're trustworthy, then the better that we get to know them, the more we'll be able to trust them. It makes logical sense. If someone that I have no relationship at all they walk up to me in a store, and I avoid going to stores as, mo as much as I can, but I'm in a store for this illustration, and someone I don't know walks up and says, hey man, here's a check for $10,000. I'm gonna look at it, and I'm gonna say, are, are you the Nigerian prince that has been emailing me? Is that, you're trying to get, you've been trying to get in touch with me, right? No, I'm probably still gonna take the check to the bank just to check and make sure, but I'm gonna be so skeptical. Like, I'm not sure, that seems a little interesting. But if Mark Logan, on the other hand, someone that I know and love and trust and respect, if he came up to me and he said, John, here's a $10,000 check, that means we're getting a hot tub for Christmas, right? It's totally done. I'm not even checking. I'm just going to go and deposit that right away. What's changed in the equation is the knowledge of the person I'm interacting with. How well I know them changes how much I am able to trust them. So as we open our text today, it's Luke chapter 1, and it's a really familiar passage. I know that, especially at this time of year. I was saying to Pastor Vern, this is my 12th Christmas at Northgate, so I feel like I've preached all this stuff like many times over, but... We're going to keep doing it, and it's good, and God's going to pull different things out, and we'll, we'll trust in him to do that. I want you to, to take special note of what seems to be a pre-existing relationship between God and Mary. It doesn't seem like this is their first interaction. We'll start at Luke 1, 26 to 28. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, kind of set in the scene. These are the characters. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, it starts by saying the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So Zachariah and Elizabeth are having their own baby. I'm actually going to talk a little bit about that later in the message. And this angel pays a visit to Mary six months into that pregnancy. But these few verses, they really center on the greeting from the angel because it is no ordinary greeting. 
We can read plenty of other times that Gabriel or other angels addressed people and they don't start out by calling them highly favored. They don't say you are highly favored and the Lord is with you. That puts her in pretty exclusive company by herself. And clearly God chose her on purpose and with a reason. Now, I think historically Protestant churches have this, this tendency to undervalue and try to minimize Mary. It's an obvious backlash to a Catholic overvaluing of Mary by praying to her, treating her as if she's like Jesus, that she's both God and human. As with most things, the truth is somewhere in the middle. She's not a God, but she is clearly an extraordinary girl. I mean, just based on this greeting alone by the angel, we know that she is an extraordinary girl. And no, I don't use the term girl on accident or in a demeaning way, here's your annual reminder that this pillar of faith and strength that we look to that has this incredibly mature response in this section of scripture is likely 12 to 14 years old at this time. Uh, I have a 12 to 14 year old and that's even more impressive to me as time goes on. So what we're really going to see here is this knowledge that God had of Mary, that the Lord was with her. This relationship between God and Mary, it didn't start when Gabriel came busting in. Right? She was someone who'd been seeking God and who'd been connecting with God and had been living in a way deliberately that was pleasing to God. The greeting of the angel tells us that she had found God and that he was with her. And that's good because she is about to go through an incredibly difficult stretch in her life. Given her age, given the fact that she's not married, further complicated by the fact she's promised to be married to someone else and now is pregnant with the baby that's not his, this angel is about to drop some incredibly difficult news on Mary. I don't think we can really understand how terrifyingly stressful this would be for her. But what does the angel say to her in the midst of that? The angel says, the Lord is with you. Because you know what we know is true about our God is that God is always with us, but he is even closer in the most trying times. He's always with us, but he is the most close in the most difficult times. And part of me wants to push back on that, right? Part of me wants to push back on my own message point and say, well, God is always close. It's just when circumstances are toughest, when we need him the most, we become more aware of how close he really is. Psalm 34, 18, though, a verse that I love says, God is near to the brokenhearted. So is he close to the brokenhearted? So my own life experiences, the experiences of people here, people I've walked with through dark valleys in life tell me that while God is always there, he draws the closest when we need him the most. And as a church, man, we've got some people that are really hurting right now. I want you to know that God is with you. God is near to you in your broken-hearted times. He is closer to you in the most trying of times. So draw near to him. Don't push him away. I don't push him away because you're mad that you're going through this. Pull close to him because he is there. And in fact, he is the closest right now, just like he was for Mary. So despite this being this amazing, noteworthy greeting from the angel, it doesn't really give Mary warm and fuzzy feelings. We see it in verse 29, that Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. 
Now, this greeting is such a complimentary greeting, but Mary kind of has that skepticism when someone gives you a compliment. You know, that thing where somebody is like, hey, man, you look great today. And you're like, what do you need? Right? It's kind of that. She's like, man, what is this? What is this greeting? Right? The Lord's with me. I'm highly favored. Where is this going? It shows a lot of her humility. She's troubled in that. Like, does God really see me like this? And the angel attempts to comfort her, tells her not to be afraid, and again says that she is in God's good favor. And all that seems pretty good for her until he gets to the next part and says, you're going to give birth to a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. Now, I don't know if Mary heard anything that came after that. It feels like the, hey, you're going to be pregnant part really would throw her off. And it seems from Mary's response, that's exactly what she got caught up on. Did she even hear the rest of what the angel said? Did she hear the angel tell her exactly who Jesus would be? Did she hear how she, the angel said he would change the world and his kingdom would never end? Maybe she does. Maybe she misses it and she's just sitting there thinking, I can't be pregnant. I know what it takes to be pregnant, and I haven't done what it takes to be pregnant, because in verse 34, she says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Now, on the surface, this feels a lot like questioning God. I want to dig down on this one, unpack a little bit, because it feels like she's saying, hey, Gabe, uh, please tell God I hear your plan, and I don't know if he knows how this all works, but that part won't work. And if you read the full chapter of Luke 1, you can see early in the, the chapter, the same angel, Gabriel, he comes to Zechariah to tell him that he and Elizabeth are going to have a baby. And when Zechariah pushes back a bit, it doesn't go well for him. With them, after the angel finishes telling him God's plan, his response is, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years, which just a quick note, that's a smart guy, right? I'm old. She's well along in years. Men, take note. Women are not old, right? You find a different way to phrase that, like Zechariah. When Zechariah looked at the situation, he started by looking at the circumstances first and then at what God could do last. And he got that order wrong. He said, that's an amazing promise that you made there. I really hope it's true, but what can you do to prove it to me? And, you know, when I think about it, when I try to put myself in his shoes, this is a couple that has spent a lifetime struggling with infertility. And they are most likely so sick of being disappointed and being let down. And so before he goes back to tell his wife and give hope again, hey, we're going to have a baby. An angel told me he asked for a little bit of confirmation. He asked for something he can hold on to. Something that he can believe that God is big enough to overcome these problematic circumstances. And Gabriel's response to Zechariah is to chastise him. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent, and you will not speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And that's rough. That's rough to me. He asks a logical question, but he does it in a way that's clearly found offensive to God and the power of God. And then only a few verses later, Mary seemingly does the same thing. She looks at the situation logically and she finds a problem with it. Zachariah's problem was that they were too old to have a baby. Mary's problem was that she was too much of a virgin to have a baby. Both were right. Both were right that without the intervention of God, what the angel was saying would not be possible. 
but based on the vastly different responses of Gabriel on what happened to Mary, on what happened to Zechariah, we have to conclude that his question was one of skepticism and doubt. You think we're going to have a baby? <laughs> we are too old. That's not going to happen. And Mary's question was one of awe and wonder. How exactly is God planning on doing this, since clearly the natural order of things won't apply in this situation? And what I take away from reading the different responses to Zechariah and Mary is that we can question God's will in a way that he finds acceptable. Now, let me explain that. Because he is a big God. He can handle your doubts. He can handle your questions. He can even handle your unbelief. He can handle you saying, God, I just don't understand how you could ever use this situation for good. He can handle you saying, God, I don't see how this is ever going to work out. But what he doesn't accept is an attitude of skepticism and doubt. There's a big, big difference between saying, I don't see how God could do this, and there's no way God can do this. I think we always, we always have to leave the door open that God can. He may, and he may not, but he can. God may heal you, and I will pray that God will heal you with the knowledge and the belief that he can, but God may not heal you. He may choose not to for reasons that make no sense to me and no sense to you. But that approach is nowhere near believing that God can't do it. It's okay to question God's will for your life, but when you do it, when you have to do it, try and do it the way that Mary did that says, God, I know you can do anything. I just don't see how this will happen. So we see the response from Gabriel as one of, of clarification and explanation, not one of punishment like Zechariah received. Here's his response back to Mary. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. The angel just kind of casually reminds Mary that God can do whatever he wants to do. It's like, God can do whatever he wants to. He can make a virgin girl pregnant. He can make an old lady pregnant. He's God. What he says happens, happens. And after hearing this, Mary's response in verse 38 is one of the most beautiful, one of the most consequential, one of the most pivotal verses in the entire Bible, where she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Mary says, God's in charge. My job is to serve him and follow him, and I accept his will for my life, whatever it is. And she is 12 to 14 years old. I just can't get over the spiritual maturity at such an otherwise immature age. No offense, 12 to 14 year olds. Those words, those are hard words. That attitude, that is not an easy attitude to adopt. The angel arrives and totally shatters whatever picture Mary had of her future for herself. And she asks one question, and she gets the response, God can do whatever, she, whatever he wants to do. And her response is, I serve the Lord. May his will be fulfilled in my life. 
Do you want to know one of the main reasons why Mary was blessed and highly favored? Because when she was given an incredibly difficult task from God to understand and to process and to accept, her response was, I'm the Lord's servant. May your will, may your word be fulfilled. And if you're going to take one main truth from the account of Mary, grab firmly a hold of this, that we don't have to know or understand everything to take God at his word. We have enough of God's word to go on right now. You do. We have enough to take the next step. We have enough to do what he's already asked. Mary didn't dig down on all the details. She didn't fully understand the situation, but the next step was to take God at his word and to affirm that he is Lord of her life and that what she wanted more than anything else was for God's plan to be fulfilled in her life. She didn't ask what was gonna happen to him when he was three. Like, will he go to normal school? Will I need to have like a special school for him since he's God? She didn't ask that. She didn't ask, will being the mother of the Messiah Messiah be incredibly painful for me? Will I someday watch him be killed in front of me? So take the next step that God is putting in front of you in faith. You may want to understand. You may want all the answers. I get that. But we don't need those things to take God at his word. And sometimes, sometimes we can get this backwards. Sometimes what we'll do is we'll say, well, I'm going to try and get to know God better. And as I said earlier, getting to know God better will help you trust him more. But we'll say, oh, if I get to know God a little bit better, then I'll be able to start following his plan more. Some of you are sitting here and you're thinking that right now. You're doing some stuff that God doesn't want you to do. Or you're not doing some stuff that you know he's asking you to do. And your plan is to just keep doing that until someday you know him better and then that will make it easier. But the best way to ensure that you know him better tomorrow is to follow what he says today. If you're serious about wanting to know him better tomorrow, do what he says today. Philip Yancey, I love the way that he put this. He told us, I do not get to know God and then do his will. I get to know him more deeply by doing his will. Right? Those things are connected. If we want to get to know him more, we've got to do his will. And if we want to live his will out and trust him, we've got to get to know him more. And so if you're waiting... If you're saying, well, just, just let me wait until I know a little bit more about God. Or let, let me wait, you know, I just started going to church. Let me wait till I go a year. When I go a year, then I'll start doing that stuff. I mean, let me wait till I get baptized. We're like, all right, well, let's get baptized. I don't actually know enough about God to get baptized yet. And we get ourselves in these loops of inactivity where we excuse everything. But God's answer is to start taking him at his word right now. And watch how that relationship grows as you do that. Watch how your trust for him grows as his will unfolds for your life. Because when we continue to follow Mary's journey, what we see is that her response was different. Her response was not the same as the shepherds or the wise men or Joseph or anybody else involved in this situation. Luke 2.19 tells us Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She took this all in, in a way that seems to be and peacefully. She considered it all in her heart. She tried to understand the deep meaning of it all. And if at this point in her story, if we could go and we could say, Mary, what did you find as you were pondering all this in your heart? What was your conclusion, Mary? What was your takeaway? I think that she would tell us this. She would say, life doesn't always go according to our plans, but God is still always at work. I think that's what she would want us to know from her life today. Because I'm not against planning. 
Planning is good. I, I'm the kind of person that schedules vacations more than a year out, right? We're in the taxi driving phase of life and our calendar is extensive, right? We got to plan it to get everyone where they need to go. But we also need to acknowledge in our planning that sometimes God has different plans. That as much as we make our plans, it is God who directs our steps as Proverbs 16 tells us. And what God wants us to see and to know and to understand about him and about his plan is that even though it isn't how we thought it would look or how we plan for it to go, he is still at work because he is always at work. And what he is looking for from us, what he's looking for are people like Mary, people who say, I may not understand this. I may not see how you're gonna make this all happen, but I trust in you, God, and I am on board for your plan, whatever it looks like in my life. And there's perhaps not a, a better place that this approach is summarized in Scripture than in Proverbs 3. Now, I first guest preached here at Northgate in 2010, November 2010. It was a great weekend. I spent the whole message breaking down these verses and, and how we get them wrong and misapply them. And I'm going to assume most of you don't remember it, so let me just uh, mention this. These are these verses, and these are great verses, and you probably know these if this isn't your first weekend in church, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Saying that acceptance, right? In all your ways, accept his will. I love it because it tells us trust in the Lord, right? And it's talking to the control freaks where it's saying, don't trust in your ability to understand everything and make it make logical sense in your own mind and in your own world. In all your ways, submit to him. Live in the way that he's asking you to live in every area of your life. Stop doing the things you know he wants you to stop doing. Start doing the things you know you need to do. Don't hold anything back. Don't keep those dark corners that you're trying not to allow him into. And when we do that, when we do those things, the promise of God is that he will make our paths straight. Not that he'll give us exactly what we want, when we want it, but that we will walk along our way of life and we will come to see that we have been on the path that God intended all along. Because when I was a young Christian, when I first became a Christian, I read this verse and I was like, I'm doing that. I'm putting God to the test. Like, all right, what do you need me to do? You need me to trust you? I'll trust you. You need me to submit to you? I'll do that. And what that means is that you have to give me what I ask for, God. And so that was my plan. I'm gonna start trusting God. I'm gonna start submitting all these areas of my life to him. And then I'm gonna move to Bristol, Connecticut, and I'm gonna work at ESPN and live and breathe sports 24-7. That was my life goal. Some of you might remember that because I did the ESPN. ESPN sign off in that. And I can't do it again. I've been here too long now. We have too much has happened for me to do that. I didn't know you guys then. But instead, what I didn't anticipate, what I didn't plan on is that I began to trust him more. As I began to submit to him more, it turned out the path that he intended for me was vastly different. It turns out the desires of your heart change as your heart becomes more and more in line with God. And what he intended was for me to be a pastor. He intended for me to be here with all of you, to be a part of the best church family in the world. And as I look back at that straight path, there are so many points where I felt like things had gone off course. There were so many times when I was sure that God was asleep at the wheel. Look, we had taken a wrong turn or two or more, and I'd say, God, I've been trying to follow you. I've been trusting you. I've been submitting to you, but it can't be right because if that was really happening, I don't think this is where the straight path would have taken us. 
But now I can see how his plan brought me exactly where I needed to be at each stage in life. And I tell you that because what that should do for me, and when you look at your life and you see the same thing, what that should do for you is give us the confidence to trust him and his plan going forward. Even when I don't understand it, even when it doesn't make logical sense, even when it is not what my plan is, that we will be people that say, I may not understand your ways or every single word you say, but I will choose to trust and believe. Although I may not see it now, if you can make it work somehow, Lord, let it be me. And you know, those aren't my words. A lot of you know that. Anthony wrote a song with Brothers McClurg, and he has an awesome Christmas album. He's not here, so I can just tell you that. Go ahead and you should buy it. You should listen to it. But one of the songs on there is from the perspective of Mary. It's called Let It Be Me. And he's in Nashville this weekend, so I asked him if they would go ahead and record it. And Anthony and Becca put this song down for us to listen to. And it might be the anthem that you need, particularly at Christmas season, but in your life right now. So listen to this.
Isn't that a beautiful song? I love it. It's going back to Bethlehem, Brothers McClurg. Find it wherever you find music. Let me ask you to stand. I want to give you a takeaway as you go today, and it's just to build a relationship with God that's so strong that accepting his will becomes your natural response. And if we love him that much and we're in connection with him that much and that relationship is that strong, that will become our default response is to accept his will for our lives. So go today in the love of God, go in the grace of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a great week and we will see you next weekend. 